Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. From season one of this spiritual fix, I will be talking about the gateway book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and how it changed my life. And it's changed a lot. In fact, it's titled, A Book That Changes Lives. Stay tuned. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. So, welcome to this spiritual fix. How are you doing, Anna? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is our first remote session. And it's kind of nice. You're like really close. (laughs) Yeah. Ironic, we're closer via screen than we were uh, six feet away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so what's been going on in your world? How, how's the new year treated you? New year has been busy. My work is busy. I work like all day New Year's because I'm in healthcare. And my kids are home from school for another week. So it's been really busy. I hear that. I, um, Luke and I give each other creativity time, usually on the weekends for two hours each. But this week we tried to, on the days we weren't doing anything, we tried to give each other, uh, like three hours each, right? So eat three hours and then one hour for the other person to like stagger it and switch off the days. And this morning I just, I normally like try and get so much done, but it was like enough time so that I could actually get like editing done. And then I just meditated for like, it felt like hours. It must've only been like an hour, but like, I was just like, I I've been doing this technique where I've been going into hypnosis first, okay, kind of going into some sort of regression. And then from there, just like seeing where it takes me because I'm like already in a trance state. So it makes it really easy to kind of just like figure out what needs to happen. And I did a demon process. And in, in, in addition to having regressions, I even had in, in one of my regressions, I had a future memory, which I've never had before. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting. But I definitely um, had some very interesting bodily experiences while doing all of this. And kind I, of- I had an interesting experience last night where I was, I was like walking and I suddenly saw like a flash of my life 
through the lens of the observer Mm -hmm. as if to say, here's my consciousness experiencing itself as Anna as she walks through the room in this city, in this state. Like it was like, it was like an out of body experience where I was like, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, Where Is My Mind? But he talks about how we think the brain generates consciousness and there's more scientific research to explain that it's more like consciousness is the cloud and our phones are the brain, meaning our, 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 our brains are just transmitters of consciousness. They are not the creator of consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness is just everywhere and it just kind of passes through the different brains registering as an individual. And yep. it was like, I almost got a sense of just being this like neutral consciousness passing through me and seeing life through my lens. It was really odd. I don't know why I'm telling you that because it has nothing to do with what you just said. Actually, no, but I love it. I mean, I think I mean that's the whole thing, right? Like, is that we experience so many different things during meditation, and like that's awesome, right? And that was just like walking. Just like walking, just like walking in yeah. the living room. And it was just like this flash. I was like, oh, that might be greater consciousness experiencing itself as me. Yeah. So actually <laughs> that segues really well into what we're going to be talking about, because one of the key things about um, this book that I'm going to talk about, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, is they talk about no ordinary moments, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it kind of, it obviously goes into de- depth about like what that actually means. But like, to me, that is like you walking through a room is like, it's not just walking through a room. It's like, it's an opportunity to like, recognize that there are no ordinary moments. There's no boring moments, right? Like yeah, we have, cause it was like, yeah, could have been any other moment of any other day, but it was this flash of like, Whoa, yeah whoa that's what it feels like exactly exactly yeah I think it's um I think it's really cool so so with that is it I'm gonna dive right in yeah okay so now let's go into your book report you're gonna do the way of the peaceful warrior and this to my understanding is like a cliff notes version of the course of miracles no it's actually this is okay so I I consider that there's a couple of gateway books out there. Okay, so this has nothing to do with Course in Miracles. No, not this time. Uh, We will do that in the future because I am obviously a big Course in Miracles fan. But in this particular case, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior is a gateway book. And in fact, it is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, a book that changed lives, changes lives, is what it says at the bottom of it. (laughs) So it knows itself well. Um, I think it was originally published, um, quite a while ago and there's a movie on it, um, which has, um, a couple of people in it and da, 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 da. but the movie is obviously nothing compared to the book. And the reason that I want to talk about this book tonight is because I originally read this book probably maybe 10 years ago. And I remember at the time it, like, it was one of those books that just like massively woke me up. Like I just loved I, I loved the, the messages that it gave. And I was like, really aspired to like, want to become a peaceful warrior. Right. Which is, or, I mean, it's not really what they kind of tell you is that it's not about becoming something. It's about the journey of the peaceful warrior. Right. Like it's never just like, it's not like all of a sudden you are. Um, And 
then I decided to reread it this summer because I was kind of reading, I was, I was needing a lot of guidance. I was needing kind of to kind of recognize something bigger than me. And when I reread it, it was the same experience. It was like, I couldn't even remember reading it the first time for one thing, but then it was also that I felt every single time I picked it up, I felt as if I was being transformed. It was like one of those books. And I feel like the gateway books do that a lot where it's just like, it's like, you are so thirsty for something that's going to pull you out of like the mundane or the everyday or the ordinary. Um, and every single time I picked up that book, I, I, even if I read it for five minutes or two minutes, even if I just read like a paragraph, I would put it down and I would be like, I could feel myself at a faster vibration. I could just feel that I was like, I understood things better and I could handle the world better. I feel like some books and voices are just magical and you don't even have to read them or understand them. Like for example, listening to Eckhart Tolle, like I don't even have to, like listen to the words he's using just his voice itself somehow anchors me and um there's some books like that like you don't have to actually read them it's just like being near them wakes you up the energy in the book or the voice of the deliverer somehow opens this door regardless if you understand verbatim exactly how you feel about this one exactly that's totally how i feel about this one i feel like because if you think about it, like, I mean, you know, kind of getting into the story a bit, it's basically the story of a, a man who's a, ju- a junior at Berkeley back in the, um, the late sixties, I think it is. And he's a gymnast, right? Uh, and it's the story of him, you know, he's kind of like a cocky dude, just being at Berkeley doing his thing. Right. And then he can't sleep one night and he goes to, um, a gas station And at that gas station, he runs into the gas station attendant, right? Because that's back in the days when they had full service and like, you know, somebody needed to put in your gas in your car. And he, the, the attendant doesn't tell him his name, but the, the guy, Dan, Dan is the character and he's the author. Um, It's semi-autobiographical, but it's a mixture of fiction as well. And Dan basically is like, oh, I'm going to name you Socrates. And then it's the journey of Dan and Socrates as Socrates teaches Dan how to be the way of the peaceful warrior. And like I said, I couldn't remember it at all. Like couldn't remember like the most basic. I could remember some of the bigger parts of it, but it didn't matter so much because, you know, a lot of the times with these kinds of books, they come up with some really good practical tips. Like this is, these are the things that you should be doing. These are the things that you should um, take away from this. And then sometimes it's just the act of reading the book. I think that this is a combination of those. I think that books like, for instance, The Celestine Prophecy by James Redwood um, has nine different steps of insights, right? And you can do one or the other, and some of them are really good, and some of them you can practically apply. But the way The Peaceful Warrior, it is not laid out as clearly as that. It is very much so okay, I see you, I see you, Dan, the character doing the work and like all the realizations that you're having and all these like spiritual experiences, reading about them helps me, but it doesn't give me practical tips. So I kind of, what I want to do is I want to go through seven or eight of kind of the main key topics and how I've actually applied them Mm -hmm. in my life or not. 
Um, sometimes it's really hard. There's actually um, a lot of books. He's done a lot of follow-up books from this and No Ordinary Moments is a follow-up book that he did that actually has like, it's like a workbook. It is, it's practical. And I did do that for a while. I also did a Way of the Peaceful Warrior workout, which is like doing specific things because one of the things he's big on with being a peaceful warrior is that it's about body language and things like that. I'm going to start off with an easy one. So the easy one is that a sense of humor can never be underestimated. Like it can never be undervalued as a sense of humor. And, and I that, love that. Yeah, right. I know. Um, it reminds me of Robbie's songs. <laughs> yes, right. Where we're like what what we do with our um with our friend Robbie. Uh, when when Robbie finally comes on, we're gonna have talked her up so much. You know? Yeah, we've talked about her in every episode. Robbie has this thing about the sense of humor. I think Osho said when you can laugh at yourself, you shatter your ego. Yeah. And Robbie has this great technique with a sense of humor where like you take your issue, whatever your fucking ego problem is, and you yeah. make a dance about it. So for a long time, mine was, I love to complain. I love to suffer. And I'd have to like dance around the room singing my love to complain. I love to suffer song. And it was hilarious. And by the end you're laughing because you realize how ridiculous your addiction to suffering and complaining is. Yep. And you need to laugh at your crap. Like it, it makes it fun. Mine was, I hate being human. I hate <laughs> being human. <laughs> right. um, so uh, in the light of that, I actually was looking up because, you know, spiritual jokes to me are like hilarious. And so um, I kind of wanted to tell a couple of some of my favorite ones that I looked up today. Um, that I spiritual thought jokes. Spiritual jokes. One of them was, I'm tired of explaining my spiritual guru to my spiritual guru how email works. He just can't understand what attachments are. <laughs> dumb. <laughs> I love it. So dumb. All right. Here's here's another one. So I'm a fat woman starting to feel spiritual. And as I looked into all the different religions, I found that all of them in one way or another involved abstaining from food. Hindus, for example, all give up beef. Mormons boycott alcohol and coffee. As a Catholic, you can eat anything most of the year, but you have to give up foods for at least one month of the year during Lent. And Muslims give up all food one month a year. So after much deliberation, I've decided I want to be Jewish. It was the path <laughs> of yeast resistance. The path of what? Of yeast resistance. Oh. <laughs> right. Maybe you can explain that, Joe, for anyone who's not a uh, um, uh, Jewish. Um, well, Judaism has so much to do with food, like every... Well, the, the leavened bread, get it? So yeast makes... Oh, the oh they're rise. making matzah. Yeah. matzah. Yeah, yeah. So ah. during, um, what is it? During Passover. Uh, during Passover, you're not allowed to have leavened bread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... You can tell how flat that joke falls when a Jewish person does not understand the joke. Maybe we need to delete this one. I'm just kidding. No, no. I think it's great. Okay. So I'm going to try one more. So a couple go to a spiritual healer and they ask him to cure their illnesses, right? And the healer says he will. And he says they must put their hand on the part of their body that they want healed. So the wife proceeds to put her hand on her throat. And she has had a sore because she's had a sore throat that won't go away. So looking at his wife, the husband then proceeds to place his hand on his crotch and the wife 
looks and then says, honey, he said he will treat our illnesses, not raise the dead. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that is the uh, really corny side of a sense of humor. But I think that the most important thing is that like, and it's something that I think we're always trying to remind each other to do is just to like not take yourself so seriously. There's a line in an Indigo Girls sign song um, that says, the best thing you ever did for me was to help me take my life less seriously. It's only life after all. It's been like I one like of my that. favorite quotes forever. Yeah. But one of the things they definitely do in the way of the Peaceful Warrior is they say that, you know, keep your sense of humor because if you take things too seriously, and that is one thing that the character in there he drives me a little bit crazy, probably because he reminds me of me a little bit too much, but he's just like so serious about everything. And his t-shirt's just like, come on, lighten up, man. You cannot take yourself so seriously. Like you can't just like assume that you know everything or assume that you're doing anything else. So the second uh, one key takeaway is you can live your whole life and not be human and not become human. Um, or another way of saying that is you can live your whole life asleep. So it's like you can grow up. I'm sorry. You can grow old without growing up. Yes. But this is like even more so because one of the things that I feel like is really, really inspiring about this book is the fact that he meditates, but like meditating is not the thing. If you know what I mean? Like meditation is a part of his practice, but it's like a very tiny portion of his practice. The main part of his practice is all about how to live the life of a peaceful warrior. So it's like a very, very active lifestyle, right? So what he says is that like, you can go your whole life and never actually become human, like fully human, or you can go your whole life and never wake up is this idea that we just create routines in our lives, right? And we, and we, treat everything as ordinary or boring or things like that. And we become like, our minds become so strong that we lose sense. Of, like it, it, one of the things that they say in there is that the birth of the mind is the death of the senses. Right. And it's like, what it's all about is it's all about like, how do we actually wake up and be like, Hey, I'm human. Like I am doing spontaneous things all the time. I'm doing other things like that. So I have a quote here and this is from Socrates. And he says, he says, he sat up on the floor and turned to face me making a final point your feelings and reactions dan are automatic and predictable mine are not i create my life spontaneously and yours is determined by your thoughts your emotions your past right so it's a whole idea that when you actually shed the thoughts and the actions and when you start to kind of get rid of all of the, the kind of rote cliche things about like you pre-programmed mind. When you get rid of your pre, pre pre-programmed mind, you can actually fully become human. Right. I like that. Yeah. It's really good. Um, and he talks a lot about being the, in the here and now there's a lot of times in which, um, Socrates will ask Dan and he'll be like, Hey, where are you? And he's like, I'm in California. And, he, and, and, and then he'll keep going like with the line of questioning over and over again. And Dan's like, I'm on planet earth. I'm in the Milky way. And the guy's like, are you, are you really? Cause it, you're just, your understanding gets in the way of the moment of the here and now, like your understanding of like your supposed intellectual understanding of the world it's just an understanding. Like it's just your mind regurgitating a bunch of stuff. So the idea being that like, 
if you're not in the here and you're not in the now, then how are you actually supposed to do that? Like then otherwise you're just like answering a question and you're just doing exactly like what you were taught in school, which is to just memorize stuff and regurgitate information. But like, do you know that you're in the Milky Way? Like, can I honestly say that I am sitting here on planet earth and I, I, the only reason that I know that I am sitting on an earth that is round or that I am sitting on this round earth has, is the middle is rotating around a sun that has all these other planets in it. Like the only reason I know any of that it, it, it is because I've been told that, like I've seen Jupiter and Saturn. I saw the conjunction. I saw stuff like that, but Are like flat earth person. <laughs> no, but I did have a science teacher. So I had a science teacher back when I was in fifth grade, seventh grade, maybe who did, who pretended to be a part of the flat earth society. She may have actually been, she was a little bit kooky, but she pretended to be a part of the flat earth society. And she said, I want you guys to prove to me that the earth is not flat. And it was a really good intellectual experience because we all had to sit there and be like, well, because if something goes around the horizon, like it, the one I remember the most was that it was like, if a boat goes over the horizon and then the boat lowers like below the horizon, right? Like, because the curvature of the earth in theory, then that's how you know that the earth isn't round. And she's like, well, what happens if they just started sinking? And like, you don't actually know that they didn't start sinking. Like, how do you know that they, you know, like didn't, like they're not going around because the curvature of the earth, but actually their boat is sinking or something like that. She would always come up with these ridiculous things, but, but she was teaching us to critically actually examine whether or not we needed to believe what it was. Right. And I think that that is a process of deconditioning the mind to be like, just don't, don't treat it all as a given, right? Don't treat it all as a given. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it really is mindfulness on steroids the way that they, the, the way of the peaceful warrior, right? Because he's always talking about like being in the here, being in the now, stop your conditioning, stop reacting to your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and being in that space. Like just be here and now, because in the here and now, all that stuff doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, one of the things that he teaches a lot about is about the body. So like the body is a huge, huge part of this whole practice, right? And, you know, we were talking, um, a couple of episodes ago about dynamic meditation, right? And the whole idea that you have this emotional process that you have to get through, right? Osho talks about that um, and a lot of different, um, and that's what happens in yoga is that you're processing the things that are stuck in the emotion, uh, emotions that are stuck in the body. And so um, one of the things that, that Socrates teaches is he basically makes Dan go through a number of fasts he makes him um, become celibate. He makes him uh, do a bunch of other things kind of in succession of whatever goes along. And, and then he makes him start just like running massive amounts of time. So to keep the body as clean as possible so that you can actually start to recognize the instincts of the body. Because the whole idea is that if you can get the body clean, then the emotions won't be as stuck. And so for me, I took that one really seriously at the time. And I actually started running for the first time in my life. Right. Which was like insane that I would actually start doing that. I did it the first time I read the book, I started running. And then the second time I read the book, I started running as well, because I recognized that there was something to be said with, for keeping the body in as good a shape as possible. Like, Weird, I've been thinking about starting running again. <laughs> yeah. So what did running do for you when you ran? 
I used to be um, in high school cross country and a little bit after big cross country runner, mar- we did marathons, like just running a lot. I think it really balanced serotonin. It gave me like a lot of time to think about things and process things without, like you're just running on a trail. Like I can't explain it, but you were forced to think like everything that came up, you were, you get, you had like the special time to just sit and think about things that you might normally not be able to. Yep. You also slept so much better. I think yeah. you crave healthier foods when you run, like you just, your body is turned off. Like you can't eat a whole pizza when you run. Like it just feels nasty after two slices, you know, just like things like that. Yeah. I was thinking of starting to run again, just because I remember how good it felt. And I felt like it was, it just felt like a, 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 a like a, a clean engine. I can't explain it. it yeah. just felt like a better machine. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And one of the, um, the kind of the inciting incident in the book, um, is when Dan is at this gas station and he thinks that he sees Socrates jumping up onto the, the, like jumping flat footed from the ground up onto the roof, which you find out later he did. But the whole idea is that like, when your body becomes supple in mind and body, like when you kind of make it this clean engine, like you're talking about, then you can honestly just do about anything. Like you, the, the body just becomes this, this, you know, this, um, this temple or this, you know, just, it, it will react and be able to do things that feel superhuman, right? Because no longer is it hindered by the mind and you're actually sensing everything and you're experiencing it in the now and you're able to be spontaneous and you're just able to just be like, I'm here kind of thing, you know? Um, so I've gone through a lot of them, but I, um, so to kind of summarize the ones that we've gone over right now, of like the main points from the book, um, one is that you can live your whole life and never be feel fully human. Right. For which there's an experience of like, Hey, like, you know, it's funny. So actually I wanted to touch on that really quickly. Have you ever had the experience of being like, oh, I'm awake or I'm awakening and everybody else is asleep? Like, have you ever said that or heard people who would say that? Uh, I have in the past, when I was first waking up, like when I was first learning about meditation, yes, I had like this strong belief of like, I'm waking up and they're not, look how automatic they are. Look how, how like programmed their brains are. They're still stuck in the matrix, you know? Mm-hmm. But then ironically, the more I've traveled on this path of waking up, the more I'm like, you can't tell necessarily. No. Um, you can't really tell. Ah, uh, one, one like hallmark feature I can tell if someone is more awake than another is by how much they fidget and scratch and like react to tactile sensations on the body. I feel like the more awake someone is, the more still they can sit. But even that might be completely wrong because I saw this shaman from the Amazon who was like one of these great Amazonian leader shaman people. And like the whole time he's scratching all the bugs that that are in the jungle biting him. So like- And it's also one of the precepts- 
yeah, what do I know about who's awake and who's not awake? Like, what do I know? Yeah. I mean, that's what I am. In some ways, it doesn't matter if anybody else is awake or not. It's none of your business. (laughs) It's none of your business. It's funny, like, went on a hike today, family hike. And as we're walking, I was thinking about, you know, our, our, our three homework things that we talked about the last five episodes, which was uh, humility, acceptance, gratitude. And I'm like, I'm going to play a game. I'm going to try to accept every moment of this hike and just observe myself accepting every moment, moment to moment. And let me just see how long I can do it before I get distracted. Mm-hmm. Kid you not like not two minutes, two minutes went by that. Like a kid asked me a question or I, my mind started wandering or I would, you know, someone tri- like something happened and boom, I'm right back into automatic thinking. I'm out of the present moment. And then I'm like, I'm accepting that I just got totally distracted. I'm going to accept this next. I'm going to accept the next chunk of time. Let me see how long I can. And let me accept what distracts me. And sure enough, I got distracted and I couldn't remember what it was that had taken me out of the moment. Like again and again and again. Yeah. I'm just, um, yeah, no, it's funny. I funny. You it just is. gotta laugh at it because if you take it too seriously. Yeah, that's like, why. What have I been doing for 20 years and I can't even stay present for two minutes on this hike? Yep. And that's, I think that that's, that's where we then come to say like, it really is none of our business whether or not we're on the awakening side or whether we're on the curve. That's like, because everyone has a different version of awake. According to this book, I'm not awake for sure. For hell not like definitely not like, you know, because I, there's so much of my daily life. Like I don't, I don't live as cleanly as, as this, you know, like I don't, I may be like on the path, but I'm definitely still at like the beginning of the book. Right. Like no matter how much I say, because I don't live this kind of like, Oh, let's be so spontaneous and things like that. You You also have small children and mortgage. No, (laughs) that's the thing right like that's the thing like I always remember that um was it uh god was it Goenka or was it Lahiri Mahasaya I feel like it was um I know that Goenka talks a lot about being a householder right and that's Goenka the the Vipassana meditator teacher yes the Vipassana meditator teacher talks a lot about being a householder and how this idea that like you have householder duties and you can't be a monk while you're a householder. Like you need to attend to the duties that you have, like attend to them in the present moment, like become a, you know, if you want to do this, become a peaceful warrior and like recognize that there are no ordinary moments when you're washing your dishes and, you know, carry water, chop wood, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, maybe next life you won't be, um, one of the things I love. But, in but he home- also says that being a house home old householder is actually better or not better more of a challenge like you look at monks and think wow like they've got it made they can meditate all day and they have silence and this and that well apparently they have drama like I think it was the Dalai Lama was saying how like you know getting them to actually sit and meditate all day is extremely difficult like they have just as much drama as us and we have a more noble drama in the sense that we're taking care of family. Yeah. You know, people are dependent upon us. Yeah. Well, I love, um, I think it's, it's in the Hindu culture culture. What they do is they recognize that like, there are three phases of life. There's the phase in which you get taken care of. There's the phase in which you take care of. And then there's your like 
your your sannyasin days, like your your renunciate days, right? And this idea that like once your kids have left and once your householder duties are over, that's your opportunity to become the monk, right? And that like it's it's accepted in a lot of Hindu culture to do that. Um, which I think is really a great way of thinking of it because it's like, okay, well, I will do everything I can to cultivate the moment now, the moment to moment now to, you know, to eat as cleanly as I can, to treat my body like a temple, to, you know, try and wake up and recognize that there aren't any more ordinary moments and accept them, whether it's through accepting the moment to moment or whether it's through just being like, shutting down your mind so that your senses come up, which is what they talk about in this a lot, which is this idea that like, as soon as you get rid of all the jumble in your head that says, I understand this or tries to understand it or tries to judge it or tries to put a label on it or tries to do anything like that. Like as soon as you do that, you're not able to just sense it and just be receptive to it in whatever way it is, whether that's by having gratitude or accepting it or just, just receiving it right with humility. Um, I know that in the past, like whenever I felt like really, really stressed and like felt like I really like was kind of in resistance as much as possible, it's only been in like, you know, it's like in being as still as possible, like you said, like getting rid of the fidgeting, like being as still as possible and kind of recognizing that I may be cutting a carrot or doing something along those lines, but I'm actually still able to really like be present in that moment and be receptive to the process of it and have gratitude for it because, um, yeah. Um, so you can live your whole life and not be human. The here and the now is incredibly, um, is you are here and it is now, um, sense of humor, cultivate a sense of humor. Um, the birth of the mind is the death of the senses. So do whatever you can to make it so that your mind doesn't have as much, and this isn't the mind, this isn't the higher mind, right? We're not talking about like the, the higher mind that kind of contemplates the, the depths of the universe. We're talking about the mind that is like, just thinks about the past and what ifs about the future and the kind of, some people call it the monkey mind. Some people call it the, you know, it's the mind that has the thoughts that are the small self, right? So what did you say? That the death, the birth of the mind is the death of the senses. So he's pro-sense, pro-senses. He's pro senses, right? And in you know, in in our our lineage, they're kind of pro senses as well because it's through the senses that you can quiet the mind, or not quiet the mind, but it's through the senses that you can process for observational karma. senses. Yeah, yeah, for observational purposes. Um, and that, and so then another thing to talk about is processing emotions. So that is um, number five. So it's necessary to process emotions. One of the things that they do in this, and one of the things that I've started doing is um, they do really, really deep massage in this book in order to release karma and really in order to release rigidity, right? Because it's all about being flexible, right? So one of the things that you can do besides drink a ton of water, drink a ton of water, have a clean diet without refined flours, refined sugars, without anything like that, is to literally process the emotions in the body. And we've talked about this a couple of times of different ways that you can process emotions, but some of my favorite ways are doing art, um, of whatever sort, whatever creative endeavor that actually like feels like it doesn't have a necessary purpose. It doesn't have to have an outcome or it doesn't have to do anything. It's just an expression of yourself. 
Um, another really great way is through sex. If you're choosing to not be celibate or through any sort of, um, sexual release of any kind, um, that is another great way to process the emotions. Um, another, um, really good thing that they talk about in this is obviously exercise. So through running, running in itself, like you said, it makes you clear. You can get the runners high. Like that's the experience of actually processing the emotions and the stuck and rigidity in your mind to do that deep massage is another thing that they say in this book is a really good way to process emotions um, using the physical body. Martial arts is also a really good way of doing it because you're kind of funneling the experience of the body. Um, and listening to music or participating in music is or any really kind of body way. work where the person administering the body work or the person receiving the body work is is very uh, present in the now, like craniosacral therapy, myofascial yeah. release. Yep. And I used to think, because I did body work before I was a physical therapist and I, for a while, I was really picky. Like I need to go to a really good masseuse. Like it has to be a good masseuse. And then I realized it didn't matter who was touching my body. If I put my mind in the right mental space, anyone could be therapeutic because I would just put my attention on where their hands were. And then it would become therapy regardless of like the person doing it yeah. Now, when the person doing it is conscious and aware and intentful and purposeful, like it's, it's amazing, right? It's like double whammy, yeah. but you can just, just anyone touching your body. If you allow yourself to be conscious of where they're touching you and relax under that skin and bring awareness to the tension or the energy flow in that part of the body, it can become the most amazing energy release. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and then also, uh, the, um, some people are practitioners of the emotion code, which I won't bring up now, but the emotion code is a, it's a great book. Um, I have to link to it in the show notes. Um, but it is a, it's a process of literally releasing stuck emotions in the body using, uh, running magnets up and down your spine. And it's a bit more complicated than that, but, um, you know, there are a myriad of ways to release stuck emotions in the body. Um, you know, one of the interesting things when you look into this is that you can recognize that, um, is that for instance, a lot of people store trauma in their shoulders and their necks. Um, and I feel like you would maybe know a lot about the emotional connections to, to different parts of, of the trauma of the body. I know for me, I hold grief, not only in my lungs, but also in my thighs, um, and, and things like that, but you know, different parts of the body will hold different emotions. And if you can release them and release that rigidity, then you're able to actually become more adaptable and flexible to life and really like wake up in that way that they're talking about in this book. Yeah. It's amazing what, what a true therapeutic emotional release can do for your body's flexibility. Yeah. Like, yeah. Being a physical therapist, have you seen that? Not really because I don't necessarily, I don't, um, with my patients, everything I do has to be for science. Like I have to give a scientific reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I don't get into like esoteric emotional release body work stuff at work. Yeah. I just don't, I just have to keep it science-based. Like that's what I do. But I know before when I, when I, before, when I was doing body work, I would see it, I would see spending a lot, like spending 10 minutes, just cradling someone's shoulder and letting them cry, you know, into that. Suddenly that shoulder has more mobility, more, more mobility than it ever had before. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I know myself when I did my first Upassana course, which is that 10 day silence course that we talk about a lot because that's where we met one of those courses. Um, I had a lot of cathartic release, emotional and energetic release in my spine where I was shaking my um, shoulders and torso shook. Like I had Kriyas, which are spontaneous energy movements. Yep. And it's, I didn't have a stiff spine before the, um, before that, but afterwards my spine was so loose. I could suddenly like shake my shoulders. Um, I could like do all sorts of belly dance moves where you have to isolate parts of your shoulders and your back spine in ways mm-hmm. like before, cause it was somehow in that energetic and energetic release tension just left my body. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. Like it's forever been gone, you know? Wow. And I feel like sometimes I'm like, if only I could like go back to those days when I lived in India and had body work multiple times a week, exchanging with other practitioners, like all over my body, I'd be so loose, <laughs> just releasing all that. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. But, but it's something that can work both ways. So you can have the release, which makes you flexible, or you can work to become flexible, which then triggers the release. So that's a really right. great thing about this, right? Is that like all these systems work both ways. Like you can change your mind and that will prompt you to change your diet. Right. And like treat it like the body is a temple, which is kind of a very key part of this book. And this, this whole um, way of the peaceful warrior, you can, you know, or you can change your diet and that will change your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, it's so amazing how you can go at it from either way. And if you're someone like me, who's really bad about being disciplined about the physical body, but can do more stuff with my mind, then it works really well. Um, and so the last point, the last point is that, um, is a lot of what we've been saying, which is this whole idea that like love and so, you know, instead of using joy, they're saying love, but they're saying that love, like you can love what you do, but you can love anything like love is in everything, right? Like it doesn't have to just be like, okay, I'm only going to be happy if I do this. Um, And I think that's a really important thing because for so long, all of my happiness was hinged on like certain things happening, like not having to do my job and not having to do this and not having to do that. Those things definitely, when they alleviated, contributed to improving my like, you know, general status and things like that because I wasn't as stressed out. But like this whole idea that joy sits anywhere underneath everything is really important. And one of the lessons that the guy in the book goes through, um, tell it's like a man, it's like a baby boomer man. Like there's no doubt because he's like, he's like, I want to go on a spiritual journey. So I'm just going to leave my wife and kid and go on this spiritual journey. And he like does it through multiple books. And I'm always just like, I think he actually comments at one point about, and then he's like, I didn't actually leave for three months. I only left for like a month. And we're just like, oh man to have like a little kid and just be like, yeah, I'm just going to peace out for a month and go on like some sort of spiritual journey and not know where I'm going. His wife gave birth. He peaced out. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, Right. So then you say, okay, how easy is it for a current modern day mom or dad to say, yeah, I'm just going to peace out and go and do this because I have to find, I have to go on this journey to find awakening as opposed to just finding it in what I'm doing right now. It's just a different time, right? It's indicative yeah. of a different time. And it's also, I mean, I've been feeling so antsy recently, like the last couple of days, I've just been feeling this like 
desire to just like be like, I'm so tired of being domesticated. Like I feel so domesticated just for lack of a better term. Maybe I can use the word of the peaceful warriors uses and say that I don't feel fully human. Like I feel like so much is a routine and I'm just like, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to have a cup of tea and then I'm going to have to do this. And I so if you're not fully human, what is he saying you are? You're robot? I think that you're just partially human, right? I mean, it's just all the language, right? That you can use is that you're, you're partially human or you're asleep. You could say that you could say that you haven't woken up. You're asleep. I recently stopped eating gluten eggs. I'm going off a dairy now and soy. And I can tell you that like the antsiness that I feel in my body, I'm like, I wonder if this is what he's talking about. It's like, all of a sudden you like get rid of the things that your body kind of systemically doesn't like for whatever reason. And then you're just like, naturally you just start to kind of wake up or want to, or want to not do things in a routine way or not want to do things the way you've always done. So you've not craved any gluten? No. Oh my God. No. I like, it's inconvenient to not have gluten. But like the amount of anxiety and depression that I was feeling as a result of gluten and how much it's gone away since stopping is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just more inconvenient. It's just more like, oh yeah, that would be nice. But like, there's no part of my mind at this point that, that really craves any of that. Like I crave eggs. I still crave eggs. And so, you know, Hopefully I can get over that allergen once my like whatever needs to happen with the gluten heals up. But like, yeah, I can, I can attest to the fact that even just changing your diet to something, you know, some people do the whole 30 around this time of year. Some people do all kind of stuff, but just finding out, like I went to a chiropractor and she did a muscle test. She did kinesiology on me and tested and saw that all of these things I was having an allergic reaction to. And then I went and got an actual test and it was like, yes, you're showing allergic reaction to all of this stuff. And I'm finally feeling like myself again after years and years and years, probably since before I had my daughter. And and I think that's like indicative that that really parallels what he did in the book of like, just changing the lifestyle and changing the diet was enough to start to wake him up. So, yeah. That's cool. I should probably do it, but I like flour. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think that it doesn't make any sense to do it if you don't have a reason to do it. Like it's not, it's not a, it's it, the only reason it's a fat or a trend is because a lot of people may be showing like systemic issues to it. Um, because of the whole like leaky gut thing that the, the wheat belly thing that happens, but a lot of people don't have that experience. And so therefore enjoy it. It is the path of yeast resistance after all. <laughs> I do. I, I co-created some yeast rolls that were gluten-free over the, um, over the break, like just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I co-created it, meaning like I talked to elementals, nature spirits, right? Because it's like one of the things I do. And that's really getting out there. But it was really fun to use my psychic abilities to make some gluten-free rolls. And they were delicious. But it was, but it was way too much fucking trouble because I was just like, if only I had some gluten for the yeast to to eat, then everything would be fine. And I wouldn't be having to do a million and one steps. And like, I was like literally singing to my dough. It was funny. That's awesome. Yeah, it was good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode six of this spiritual fix. And if you like what you're hearing here, 
Be sure to follow us on Instagram at this.spiritual.fix or subscribe or tell a friend. All those things. Have a awesome day. Peace. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.